Hey, good evening, everyone. Welcome if you've just joined the online service. My name is Jake, and I am excited to bring the message to you tonight, wherever you're watching from. And I just really hope that you are doing well uh, this weekend, this month. We've been praying for our online community, our church family. Uh, we know this is a difficult time for a lot of people, and it's that, and that's the reason why we need to continue to gather, even if it's online. And so tonight I want to talk to you about the gospel. I want to talk to you out of 1 Corinthians 15. And so if you have your Bibles, you can go get your Bible. We're going to be able to follow right along with me through a passage in, in 1 Corinthians 15. And I really believe God's going to, going to kind of do something in us to simplify our faith, to, 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 to take some of the complication out of the, our faith and our Christianity that sometimes we add to it ourselves. I know I do. Uh, that in my own life. And sometimes going back to the basics is one of the most important things that we can do. And so, like I said, uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15 uh, tonight. And I want to ask this question to you, though, as we start. It's how would you describe the gospel to someone who's inquiring about your Christian faith? So we, this term, the gospel, is thrown out all the time in Christian culture and sermons but I've noticed in my time in ministry and, and, and in my time in the church is that a lot of people have different explanations for what the gospel actually is. And so it's important that we have a clear understanding of what that is. So kind of the, the phrase that we're gonna re, be revisiting over and over again tonight is this phrase, a personal understanding and passion for the biblical gospel is essential for anyone desiring to grow in their relationship with God. It is essential. Understanding and having a passion for the gospel is essential to grow in your relationship with God. And so it's important. Let's dive into it. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15. Before we go into that, though, I want to set you set the, the, the book up a little bit, set this letter up to help you understand what's going on in the area that Paul's writing to. And so the city of Corinth is the place that Paul was writing to. And the city of Corinth was an economic hub of the time. So lots of trading going along in this city, a lot of money in, goods in, goods out. It's an economic hub. Paul spent a year and a half in Corinth. We can read about that in Acts 18. So you go back to Acts, it talks about how Paul was in Corinth. And now Paul's writing a letter back to the Corinthians based on what he's hearing about what's going on in that culture. And so Paul received reports that things were not going well in Corinth. They were dealing with, are you ready for this? It might sound familiar if you're watching in America. They were dealing with petty arguments among Christians, sexual immorality among Christians in the church, in drifting away from the truth of the gospel that Paul preached in a drifting away from scripture. And so he preached to them for a year and a half, but now the church is in danger. The church is actually drifting away from the, the principles and the truth that Paul brought to them while he was with them. So here we find this letter. And I find it very uh, similar to kind of what we are dealing with in America today. Petty arguments among Christians, sexual morality in the church, and people drifting away from scripture. 
And so Corinthians is a very applicable letter, a very applicable passage of scripture for us as the church in America. So 1 Corinthians 15, one through eight is where we will be tonight. I'm going to read the entirety of that passage and then we're gonna break it down little by little. So now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I have received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, who's Peter, and then to the 12. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at that time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and to last, all, last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. So this is a beautiful passage. It describes the gospel in a very linear fashion. And so we're gonna break it down. I'm gonna read uh, verses one and two again, and then build off of this scripture. So that says, now brothers and sisters, I wanna remind you of the gospel I preach to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. Like I mentioned earlier, the gospel the term is used often. And sometimes I think we use it without realizing what it actually is. What is the gospel? Well, simply put, gospel was a term used in that first century, which simply meant good news. It was good news. It was not a Bible Christian term. It was actually a secular term that was used in the first century. Paul is using the term gospel to describe the good news that Jesus has risen from the dead. Now, fast forward to 2020, and we hear this word gospel, but people mention the gospel, but people aren't always describing what it actually is. So there are false gospels in the church today. There are gospels that are not the biblical gospel. There are gospels and there are other religions. There's other ways to salvation. There's other ways to heaven. There's, there's teachings that there's no such thing as hell. There's gospels that, that dilute sin and say sin's not a big issue. There's gospels that say, hey, you can kind of live how you want to live. There's, there's, there are forms of teaching in, in, in Christianity in America that say there's no absolute truth. There's all these sorts of ideologies and teachings and thought processes that are being that are leaking into the church and are attaching itself to the true gospel, uh, polluting its effect. And if we are not, uh, if we are not wise, if we are not uh, intentional with preserving the biblical gospel, it can get perverted very fast by the world, by our culture, and by the devil. So it's important that we know what the gospel is. It's extremely important. And that's what we hope to do on a very, uh, on a very simple level tonight uh, in the time that we have. So there are other messages about Jesus going out that aren't consistent with what scripture has to say. So Paul says, by this gospel, you are saved. Not by another gospel. He, Paul is saying, by the gospel I preach to you is the only way to be saved. 
What Paul preached is the only way. And we can pause because in a postmodern world, that can seem offensive. That can seem exclusive and closed-minded, but it's the truth. Paul is saying, the gospel I'm going to present to you is the only way you can be saved. Is the only way to God. There's no other way. This is the gospel. And this is why. I hope you're catching the, the, the severity, the importance that this warrants. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back to this phrase that we started with. A personal understanding and passion for the biblical gospel is essential for anyone desiring to grow in their relationship with God. So he mentions in 1 Corinthians 15, going back to that passage, he says, for what I've received, I've passed on to you as of first importance. And the, and the phrase I wanna focus on is that phrase, first importance. You see, some people in the church, we like to think that we can graduate from simple things. We like to think that maybe we've been in the church for 10, 20 years, maybe five years. Maybe we're young. We're trying to spice up the gospel because it seems a little bit boring to us. And so we try to add things on. And what Paul's saying here is this gospel is of first importance. It's not just a part. It's not just one of the key elements. No, this is the most important part. There's no graduating from the gospel. You see, the, the deeper we go in our faith, we realize the more basic that it gets because we're unlearning the complicated ways of the world and we're, we're coming back to a sincere, pure devotion to Christ. Some people think it's too basic, some people like to talk about other things, but the message that, of the gospel that Paul preached is of first importance. The biblical gospel is a high priority. And just to prove this point, Paul, Paul who's one of, the, one of the, the most influential Christians, and he wrote more than half of the New Testament. He's an apostle of Christ. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 2. He says, so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. <laughs> so Paul is literally, Paul, who is the greatest missionary, the greatest leader of the Christian church to ever have existed. And Paul, other than Christ, obviously, Paul comes and he says, I refuse to know nothing but Christ and Christ crucified. Yeah, but Paul, like, what about, uh, what about other things? And yes, we can go and move on and build our faith and grow in our faith in spiritual gifts and evangelism. And we can go on all those other things. But if we do not have a passion, a clear understanding for the biblical gospel, we have nothing to build upon. The gospel is the linchpin. It is the key. It is the thing that will keep us secure, keep us grounded, keep us humble, keep us in God's love, keep us in God's will. It is the most important thing. And God will build your life. He'll mature you and me through an understanding in the gospel. It's so important. Paul says, I don't know anything. I refuse to know anything except Christ 
and him crucified because that's enough to carry me through any situation, to change my mind about anything that's going on in culture, Christ and him crucified is the answer. Then he says in Galatians 6, Galatians 6, the, the, the Galatians were, were, were dabbling in other uh, thought processes, you could say, about Christianity. They were going back to a sense to a Judaism and, and into a flesh uh, works-based uh, Christianity. And Paul is cor- correcting them in Galatians 6. And he says, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. He says, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, the only thing I boast about is the cross and the resurrection of Christ. It's the only thing I'll boast about. I won't boast about the miracles. I won't boast about uh, how many churches I started. I won't boast. He says, I don't boast about any of that. The only thing I boast about is the good news that Christ came to save sinners. And he's changed and turned our life upside down as we then take that message to our world. The gospel is of first importance. So I'm just gonna share this phrase with you. I really just wanna drill this in our heads tonight. Uh, A personal understanding and passion for the biblical gospel is essential for anyone desiring to grow in their relationship with God. So what is the good news that Paul came to preach? We find it in 1 Corinthians 15, 3. It says, Christ died for our sins. Christ died for our sins. And if you're in America, the odds are you've probably heard this phrase, Christ died for our sins, but why did he have to do this? Why did Christ have to die on a cross? Why? Well, let's, let's hop over to Romans 3. Uh, we're gonna read 9 and Uh, starting in verse nine, and we're just gonna continue. He says, what, this is uh, Paul writing in Romans three, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not find. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Well, that doesn't seem like very good news. (laughs) There's no one who seeks God. There's no one who's good. All have turned away from God. All are stuck in the powers of sin. Let's keep reading. It says Romans 3. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So when we're talking about the gospel and we, we say Christ died for sins and we ask why did he have to do that? We find here in Romans 6 that the wages of sin is death, meaning the payment that sin deals out is death. It is what we deserve. There is no escaping it. It is not just true if you grew up in church. It is not just true if you are a Christian. It is true for every human on the planet who has ever existed that sin is separating us from God. 
and that there is no escaping it. It's not just true if we're aware of it, it's just true. It's the gospel that Paul came to preach a part of it. Our conscience bears witness to it. We sense the, the shame and the guilt when we commit sin and do wrong. We are deserving of punishment. No one is good. There is no such thing as a good person. And here's where we have the bad news. Because in order to have good news, you have to have bad news. And so the bad news involved in the gospel is that sin has poisoned every human being. Sin has corrupted us and that no one is good. This is a, this is a difficult thing for us to get in America. You know, because you, you talk to an average person on the street and most people think they're a good person. Like most people think that their actions and motives and intentions and overall, uh, their overall condition is good. It's more good than bad. And so most people say, I am a good person. <laughs> and I wanna tell you about a conversation I had with, uh, with one of our high school students. Uh, so one of our students brought a friend who was, I probably labeled this person agnostic. So believing in a God, but not really having an idea of who that God is or even having any convictions of, of faith. So just, there's something out there, but I don't know what it is. So this, this student who's agnostic, I'm, I'm, I'm chatting with them. We're kind of in a, in, a, in a setting with just a few guys sitting around chatting. And, and so we're talking about God and he's like, yeah, I just don't, I, I more believe in science. And so, well, I believe in science too, you know? And, and we're talking and, and I just asked him, I said, I said, do you, do you think you're a good person? He's like, yeah, I think I'm a good person. Yeah, I think I'm a good person. So I said, let me ask you some questions. I said, uh, have, you ever, have you ever lied? And he's like, yeah, I, I've lied. What do you call someone who lies? Well, a liar. So would you call yourself a liar? Well, well no, I, I'm not a liar, but, but you've lied? Yeah, I have lied, so you're a liar yeah, I, I guess I'm a liar. Okay, so you're a liar. Have you ever stolen? Well, yeah, I stole, but it was when I was a, a kid and I stole something. And, and I was like, so you're, you're a thief. And he's like, no, I'm not a thief. I just stole something. I said, but you've stolen. So what's someone who steals something? So you're a lying thief. Okay. I said, have you ever cheated on a test in school ever? He's like, well, well yeah. So you're, you're a cheater. He's like, no, I'm not a cheater. Like I just, I just did it once or twice. I just did like a dozen times. I said, what do you call someone who cheats a dozen times? A cheater. Okay, so you're a liar, you're a, you're a thief and you're a cheater. Um, I said, have you ever looked at a, a girl with lust? And he's like, oh yeah, all the time. He's like a high school guy. And I'm like, oh, okay. So the Bible says that if you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery. So you're a liar, a thief, a cheater and an adulterer you still think you're a good person? He said, well, yeah, I'm a good person. And I said, that's the problem is that you have your own standard of good and your standard of good is not good enough because there's a better standard of good. And it is God who is perfect, who's holy, who's loving, who's kind, who's righteous, who's just. 
And I laid out the fact that he can never undo the bad and the wrong. There's nothing he could ever do to make up for his wrong actions, his sin. And he looked at me with deer in the headlights. And I presented the gospel that Christ came to save you from yourself because you can never do it on your own. And his eyes were just locked into mine wide open. And I, and I presented that to him. Unfortunately, he did not accept it. It's not my job to do that. That's God's job to save, my job to proclaim, God's job to save. But I know I planted a seed of the truth of the gospel in that, in that kid's life, that young man's life. And I know for a fact that he now knows the truth of the gospel. And now it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict his heart. And my point in sharing that story is that most people think they're good because of the standard that they have, not the standard that God has. And as Christians, we need to have the standard that God has. Not that we perform and work up to his standard, but we recognize his standard, have a fear and a respect and a reverence for God. And we allow God's grace to cover us and bridge the gap from where we are and where God calls us to be. It's called grace and it's what Christ has done for us. That's the bad news. We are not good our broken sin nature is the issue. We must be born again. <laughs> we must be made into a new creation altogether. We must have this sin nature, nature broken off and forgiven. So that's the bad news. Here's the good news. 1 John 3, 5. But you know that he, who's Christ, appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him, there is no sin. Second Corinthians 5, 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Christ became sin so that we could become righteous and children of God. This is the good news is that we are lost without God, but Christ and God in his grace sent Christ to become sin and to take away sin so that we could be the temples and the house of God. John 1, 29, it says, then the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Romans 10, 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I'm gonna say it again. A personal understanding and passion for the biblical gospel is essential for anyone desiring to grow in their relationship with God. The way I like to think about the bad news and the good news is that when you buy a diamond, when you buy an engagement ring, a wedding ring, and, and they put it in the box, there's usually a black velvet uh, background to the diamond. The reason is when the light hits the diamond, there's a backdrop of darkness so that the light can reflect off the diamond. And that's what it is with sin. Sin is the black uh, backdrop and the diamond is the gospel that Jesus came to save us from our sin. And I know this is simple for a lot of us that are listening. Like, yeah, Jake, we've heard this before, but listen, if we're not sharp, if we're not convinced and passionate about the simple gospel, 
We are a target for the deceit of the enemy to pollute our minds and distract us from the simplicity of the gospel, which can change our communities, our families, and our nation. It's the only thing that can save us. Let's keep moving on. 1 Corinthians 15, three, this is an important part. It says, according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures. So he says, uh, what I've passed on to you is of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. The way that we understand the gospel is through what God had men write down in the Bible. It is the authority, it's the power of God unto salvation. So we look back to the biblical account of what salvation is, and that is what the gospel is. The gospel is not my presentation of what I think the gospel is. The good news of salvation is what the Bible describes that of, of what it is. Christ died for sins, according to the scriptures. So when we hear a preacher talking about the gospel, we're talking about Christianity, faith, salvation, heaven, hell, it's your job to check my work and to say, does that line up with the scriptures? If it doesn't, please come challenge me and talk to me. And let's have a conversation. You may have misunderstood the preacher. You may have misunderstood me, but that is why the Bible is so important is that we do not blindly follow people just because they might sound articulate or sound uh, like they know what they're talking about. The scriptures are to be our guide to, to help us navigate salvation, sanctification, progress, moving forward, loving our families, loving our wives, loving our communities, loving the world and, and, and deciphering between truth and error. And you have the Holy Spirit who can teach you and, and, and illuminate the, 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 the scriptures to you and illuminate the gospel in the scriptures. According to the scriptures. It's interesting in, in 2 Timothy, um, Timothy, uh, Paul's writing to a young Timothy who's uh, just having a, a little bit of a tough time in his city where he's leading his church. And the 2 Timothy describes what the culture is like um, where Timothy's at. Uh, it's times in culture where people are lovers of themselves says they will be always be learning, but won't have knowledge. Um, it says persecution and difficult times will come to those who believe and stand for the truth of the gospel. And Paul tells him, continue in what you have learned. And this is what it says in 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17. And how from infancy you have known, infancy, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul, writing to Timothy, having a tough time, he says, the scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He then goes on to say, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Scriptures are key for the gospel. 
So Christ died on the, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, 1 Corinthians 15, 4, and he was raised to life on the third day. This is the key element to the gospel. Yes, Christ died for our sins, but he died to remove our sin, to pay for our sin. And the way that he did that was on the cross, but through his resurrection is how you and I have new life. You see, death could not hold Jesus because he was sinless. And if you remember, death is the payment that sin gives. It's the wage that it pays out, but Christ had no sin. And so death could not hold him down. So the Holy Spirit, God raised Christ through the Holy Spirit, raised him back to life. Death could not hold him because he he defeated the consequences of sin. His resurrection is the proof that his blood was the perfect sacrifice for all sin. The resurrection of Christ is the making new of all things. It is the, he is the first fruits of our resurrection. It was an appropriate response for the life that he lived. Death could not hold him down. His resurrection was just not for himself, but it was for you and it was for me. His resurrection is the key to the victory over sin, over addiction, over sexual morality, over pride and over death. His resurrection is the greatest assurance of our new life here on earth and our future in heaven with him. I want us to pause just for a second and and truly consider what it means for Christ to be raised from the dead after being in the grave for three days. So what the scriptures describe. Truly consider the importance and the impact that the truth of his resurrection has on our lives. Some people can get so caught up in circumstances and pressures of life, which are real not realizing that the truth of Christ's resurrection is the power and is the comfort that meets us in every season. And, you can, and I understand, it can be a lofty thing, right? Like the resurrection is a lofty thing, but it is where God works. It's called faith. And it's keeping our eyes on the gospel. It's keeping our first focus, our high priority on the truth of the gospel and how it's impacting our lives. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he raised back to life on the third day, conquering sin, your sin, my sin. He no longer, we no longer have to act and behave right in order to be made good. Christ did everything for us so that we could get what we never deserved. It's called grace. And Ephesians 2 talks about it. It says, it is by grace we have been saved. It It is by grace that you've been saved, not by works. It is by grace through faith that we've been saved. And this is the power of the gospel. 
that anyone who listens and believes can have a brand new life, not brand new circumstances, not a new husband or a new wife, not new kids who, don't, who are annoying and difficult. You know, you see, he, he doesn't promise different circumstances. God promises a new life. And for those of us Christians who have been, who, who have been Christians for a while, sometimes we can get so used to the gospel that it loses its, its effect. And I wanna challenge us to, to not graduate from the gospel, but to dig in even more, to be thankful for it, to truly consider how it's impacting my life. And if it's not impacting my life, if it's not impacting your life in a way that's changing the way that you perceive and act in the world, I challenge us to go back to, if it's 1 Corinthians 15, or maybe you go read the account of Jesus dying and raising from the dead. Maybe you go read some some of those accounts in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And maybe you really consider the, the beauty, the impact, the truth, that we find when we truly consider the good news of the gospel, which is that Christ came to make things new. He came to redeem and buy back his kids who were lost because of sin. It's a loving father who sent Christ down to earth to redeem and bring his kids back. He brought me back. He brought you back because he loves us because he has a plan for our life and because he wants to flow through us, live in us and make us a city on a hill, a light that shines in the darkness. So what shall we do when we hear the gospel? What shall we do when we hear this good news? Acts 2, uh, 37 through 39, I think describes our an appropriate response. So Paul, or I'm sorry, Peter goes out and he's preaching the gospel. He's preaching the good news that Jesus has raised from the dead, that he's the king of heaven and earth and that he reigns supreme over every living creature and that he is the only way to heaven into eternal life. And it says this in Acts 2. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. It's the phrase that I wanna, I wanna stick and really focus on. It says they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So what's an appropriate response? Is to repent. I've had to do this, even since I've been a pastor, I've had to do this countless of times as I've revisited the gospel saying, God, I'm sorry for making less important things more important in my life. I've said, God, I turn away from that bad thinking that the gospel is boring. And I turn to the truth of the biblical account of the gospel, God, that I was deserving of hell. God, but you, while I was yet a sinner, God, you died for me. You sent Christ to die for me and raised from the dead so that I could have a brand new life, brand new heart, renewed mind, and a new purpose in life. I've had to repent from that as a Christian that I've lost my focus. And if you're here and you're not a Christian and you think you're a good person, but you've never actually repented and submitted your life to God, 
an appropriate response is to admit that you could never fix yourself and believe in Jesus and in the truth that he lived a perfect life, died on a cross for you and raised back to life, proving that he conquered sin and death, not just for himself, but for you. And all it takes is as if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, meaning that he's the master, he's right, he's the only way. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. It says you can be saved. And so if you're watching right now and you're not in a good place, you're not in a right relationship with God and you have been going on with your life of your own definition of what a good person is, it's your time to commit and lay down your life to Christ and to God. So let me just pray with you. God, for anyone who's recognizing, God, their need for you right now, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would meet them. And if that's you and you wanna make that commitment, I'm just gonna pray for you right now personally. God, I just pray for them, God, that you would lead and guide them right now in the room that they're watching it in, whatever device they're watching it on, God. And I pray, God, that you would illuminate the scriptures, God, that you would drive them to read their Bible, to read the accounts of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. And I pray, God, that you would send other Christians to surround them and help them. And most importantly, God, I just pray that they would have a revelation and understanding, God, of their need for Christ. God, I pray that they would have a true uh, revelation of your loving kindness towards them. God, and that Christ is sufficient for their life. And I just pray for them in Jesus' name. I pray for all of us, God, who have been Christians and who've maybe drifted away from the simplicity of the gospel. I pray, God, that you'd bring us back, bring us back to your heart, bring us back to your ways, bring us back to your perspective, God, so that we can be effective to live out this life Monday through Sunday. God, consistently with a right attitude, with the right perspective, God, with peace and with confidence in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, well, thank you so much just for being with us tonight. I pray that you have an amazing uh, rest of your Sunday night and into your week next week. God bless. We'll see you guys on Wednesday night for our Wednesday PM service.